Uh, we're in a new sermon series called Who is God? Now, um, when I, at one point in time when we were talking about this, uh, this being the topic, this being the title for our sermon series, I thought, well, if I was sitting in the, in the congregation and somebody said, here we are at the church today and we're going to talk about who is God, then my first question would be like, uh, why? Um, if we're the church and we don't know who God is, aren't we already in big trouble? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that that's, it reminds me of the two little boys. You probably heard the story of the two little boys that uh, they were kind of really rambunctious and they were always getting into trouble. So their mom said, I'm going to straighten you guys out. I'm going to take you down and you're going to go talk to the pastor. And so the pastor comes out and he gets one of the boys, takes him into his office and he says, looks at him, he says, son, he said, do you know who God is? And he said, yes, yes. And then he said, son, do you know where God is? And the little boy's like, oh, no. What's, he said, do you, I'm asking you, do you know where God is? He said, I, I want you to understand. Do you know where God is? And said, all of a sudden, the little boy jumped up, and he ran out of the office. And then he's, he's running through the hallway. He looks at his brother. He says, come on, run. God's missing, and they think we took him, you know. So, <laughs> that's right. So, uh, hopefully, as a church, we do know who God is. And for each and every one of us, we know, we know some about who God is. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we get to experience as uh, followers of Jesus, of being a part of the, you know, living the Christian life, is that we get, um, every day, we get to experience new facets. We get a new understanding uh, and a new experience of who God is. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, who is God. I personally believe that this is most, one of the most important topics that uh, we could deal with, that we could talk about, especially in the, the day and age that we're living in, in the, the time, and in all of the things that are going on in our world. I think it's really, really important, especially for those who name the name of Jesus, who, who are followers of Jesus. We need to know uh, who God is. And so we're living in times, I believe, when people are looking for, they're looking for answers to questions. Is there really a God? Are there really, um, you know, or is there really a Bible that I can trust? Can I really put my confidence in, or should I just do away with all of that stuff? Uh, you know, just forget about all of this. And the, the good news is we can give people a definitive answer, and we should be prepared to give everybody an answer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So, so the, the Bible's here telling us, saying we all need to be prepared to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. As I, I look in this, uh, this scripture here, this word defense, in the Greek it really does. It's the word apologia. And the word apologia means to, to give a defense or to make an answer. It could be in a courtroom and somebody makes a, asks a question and you give an answer. You give a testimony. You give a, your knowledge of the facts. And so that's what you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we really need to be able to do that, is to give an offense why we believe, maybe on the basis of the scripture, on the basis of personal experience, on testimony, all types of different things. And then it goes on 
And it says that we are to give a reason, okay? Not, not just an opinion, but a reason. And can I tell you that, that we really can give an intellectual, we can give a very informed reason to why we believe what we believe. And then the Bible goes on, and like this, it says that we are to do it with meekness and with fear. You see, I think sometimes we are afraid to give an answer, but that's not what the Bible says we should do. It doesn't say we should be afraid to give an answer. It says that we give an answer with meekness, and the word meekness means strength under control. Out of the assurance of what we know to be true in our lives, we don't have to argue with people. We don't have to beat people down. We don't have to yell louder than people. We don't have to have to kind of cut them down or, or be sarcastic towards them. All we have to do is stand in the strength of what we know to be true and what we experience to be true in our lives, and then we can give an answer. And we give it how? <clears throat> with fear. Okay? Not fear of them, but in honor and in reverence because they are created in the image of God. So we can present to every person an answer, and that's what we want you to be able to do. One of the reasons that we're doing this series is because part, part of the, the gifting and part of the calling of, of pastors is to equip people for the work of ministry. And our heart is for you to be able to give an informed reason or defense of what you believe. I've been um, doing kind of an informal survey recently, and, and uh, so if I've been getting with some people and I've just been asking, I said, do you feel like that if you were um, to be questioned about your faith, that you'd be able to give both an intelligent, uh, uh, an informed, even an academic answer to why you believe there is a God, why you put your confidence in the Scripture? And it's been surprising to me how many people have, uh, have just not had that confidence, and we can have confidence, and we want you to uh, have that. So when, when Pastor Chris or Pastor Roger or myself are up here, when we're, we're preaching, we're teaching, we're doing it with a purpose, and that purpose is to help build you up and to strengthen you. You see, Ephesians chapter 4 puts it like this. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Did you, did you catch that right there? God gives some. He gives apostles and prophets and pastors and, and teachers and evangelists. He, he, he puts all these offices, this fivefold gifting, into place in the body of Christ, but for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is for the equipping of the saints. And somebody's going, well, wait a minute, who are the saints? Well, turn to your right, look and see who's sitting there, okay? If they're a believer, if they're a follower in Jesus Christ, then that's a, they're saints, okay? Turn to your left, right? That's saints. Uh, that, that's who it is. The saints are people who believe in, who have put their faith in, their confidence in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, so who's to be doing the work of the ministry? Who's to be carrying the, the responsibility of, of sharing the gospel, of continuing to encourage each other? It's the saints. It's the saints, right? Until the saints do this, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, th so the goal for the church is that we're to manifest Jesus. We're to look like Jesus. We're to think like Jesus. We're to act like Jesus. How many people think that's a good idea? 
right? That's a good standard. Uh, so the church, and the church, again, is the saints in action. Unfortunately, we haven't yet come to this place of fullness. We haven't come to the place of full maturity. And, and what's happened here is that's why we've got a lot of people in our world today that they love Jesus, or at least their idea of Jesus, but they're really, really not always fond of the church or fond of Christians, right? And the, the, the reason is that we haven't, aren't fully manifesting. We're not showing the heart, the character, the actions of Jesus. I've got to tell you that as a, a pastor, there have been times, and there's still times when I think, man, what would it be like? I mean, I just really wonder what it would be like if, if every thought, if every action, if every decision we made, if every, if every characteristic, if every, every work we did, it was, it was being done just out of the fullness of Jesus. It was being done just like Jesus was doing it. Man, I'm telling you, you know what that would do? That would rock the world. Man, when they see us loving them no matter what they do to us, when they see us being graceful and merciful, when they see us being a, doing the works of, of miracles and, and signs and wonders and all of the things that Jesus did, what, wouldn't that rock the world? Wouldn't it change the world? And that's God's intention. That's God's purpose for us today. So we want you to know what you believe. We want you to know it so that it will benefit you personally but so that through you, it will also benefit and be a blessing to every other person. How many people think that sounds like a good idea? Amen? I really, I really believe that. So what you believe is vitally important. What you believe, what I believe, it's going to shape our worldview. You see, our, our worldview is, is kind of how we see life. It's the lens that we look through. It's what you put your faith in. It's what you're going to base your actions for life on. It's, it's, where you're, it's what you're going to um, base your decisions in life on, how you use your time, how you invest your money, how you, um, the, how you prepare for life, how you do life now, and how you prepare for the future. It's all going to be based on what your worldview is. And, and let, me, let me say this. Some people uh, talk about being a, a, a person of faith. Well, can I tell you that every single person on the face of the earth is a person of faith? They believe in something. Even those who say they don't believe in God, you know what they're really saying? Is they're saying, I believe in my own opinion, I believe in my own thoughts, whether that's informed or uninformed, no matter what it is. I believe in what I'm I believe in what I'm doing more than what the Bible says, or more than, uh, what, than uh, what it takes to believe in Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ. That's what their worldview is. Basically, we can uh, kind of summarize things into four worldviews, okay? So, so the first worldview would be naturalism or atheism. Anybody ever heard of atheism? That's people that say, what do they say? There is no God. They, they don't believe in a God. So their belief system is that, that they believe that there's no God, and that, that's their worldview. It shapes how they live and how they act. They, they think that man is simply a biological product. He's not a living soul, a living spirit there. They, um, they, they would say that morals and ethics then become very subjective, very uh, um, situational, depending on what's going on, is how I will act and what I will say and, and what I will do. It's a very, in my opinion, very dangerous place to live. Okay, there's pantheism, okay, is, a, is another worldview, pantheism. And what this is saying here is that, um, is that the universe is God. 
and, and then God is the universe, and, and everything is God, and God is everything, and, and it's just, um, in, in many ways, just uh, ridiculous to think about it, to really uh, to carry it out to a further degree. Polytheism would be a third worldview, polytheism, and, and we see a lot of places, polytheism means that there are many, many gods, and uh, when I think about polytheism, I think about Greek mythology and all of the different gods, and there's the god of the sea and the god of the sun and the god of the stars and god of fertility and god of the fields and all these different gods, um, and so we'll just pick and choose which god we're going we're gonna to relate to. Uh, Hinduism, okay, the Hindus, India, when I, uh, I think about um, polytheism, I think about going to India and there being thousands and thousands of gods. On my uh, first trip to India, I went with Brother, uh, Brother James Walker, and, and um, we were doing a pastor seminar there in India, and, and we were staying in a hotel, and we had this, this taxi driver, and, and so every day this taxi driver, he would come, and he would, he'd pick us up, and he'd carry us from the hotel to the conference center, and, and we'd get in his car, and it would smell like incense because he had uh, been burning, uh, you know, making an offering, an incense offering to these gods. And he had these little gods up on his uh, dash, these little idols and images up on his dash. And I, I kept thinking in my heart, man, I want to share Jesus with this guy. I want to I be able to, to tell him about, you know, the, the true, the one true God. And, and so I, I really did. I, I got into this place where I said, uh, God, God, one morning I got up and got to go out there and I talked to him and I explained to him, told him about Jesus and how Jesus came to to die for our sins and to take our place and to forgive us and to give us life. I told him the whole gospel message, and I said, would you like to accept Jesus? And he was like, oh, yes, 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 I would love to, uh, I would love to accept Jesus. And so I prayed with him, and, and uh, he, uh, he asked the Lord to come into his heart, and, and then um, the, uh, our interpreter came along, and I, I was so excited, and I told him what that, that meant, that, or, you know, I told him about what had taken place, and, the, and the, uh, the interpreter said, well, let me ask you, did you tell him that there, Jesus is the only God? And I said, well, I don't remember if I told him that or not. He said, because in Hinduism, man, they'll accept any God. Yeah, just give me one more. If, if five's good, 50's better, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I said, well, we probably need to go back and, and make that clear. But, uh, but then the fourth worldview is theism. And theism, what that says is, is that there's a belief in a God, a God who is infinite but yet personal, a, a God who, who is the creator, the founder, the sustainer of all things. And this would be the starting place for us as followers of Jesus. You see, we should, as believers, we should as followers of Jesus, and we can have what we would say is a, world, is a God-centered biblical worldview, a biblical worldview that we take what the Bible says and we process every, um, every decision, every thought of life through this worldview. So the, 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 the question comes up then, uh, two, for me anyhow, two thoughts come to mind is, um, well, if there's four worldviews and they're all so different, they can't all be right. <laughs> okay, do we, can we acknowledge that? They, they, they can't all be right. And so it's not like, well, you take one and I'll take one and, and everybody just go their own way and do their own, th their own thing. 
that's just not true. There are some things in life that, that it's either right or it's not right. Has you, anybody ever stopped to get directions somewhere and you're talking to some people and you're saying, hey, where's that place at? And you get a few people around and one person's pointing one way and the other person's pointing the other way and you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm more confused now than I was when I asked for directions in the first place. And you find out that everybody can't be right. And so my question then would be, my second question would be, can we know, can we know that definitively that the biblical worldview is right? And the answer to that is absolutely, positively yes. Absolutely, positively yes. So if the biblical worldview is right, we're going to believe in one God. And if there's just this one God, I think we want to ask the question then, what does it take to be God? Kind of what's God's job description look like? If, if you were going to apply it for, the, uh, for the, the job of being God, what would you need to have? What characteristics and attributes would need to be a part of your life? And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're taking notes, just to, um, to write these down, okay? If you're not taking notes, just write these down, and uh, these will help you for, for later on, okay? So let's talk about, real quickly, some of the characteristics and some of the attributes of God. And one thing I would say about these characteristics and these attributes of God is that each and every one of these could not only be a sermon on their own, they could be a series on their own. As a matter of fact, semesters and volumes of books have been written on each and every one of these. So the first characteristic or attribute of God is that God is a spirit. Okay, now that's a broad statement, and, and, but, but God is a spirit, and, and, and what does that mean? It means he's infinite. It means he can't be constrained. He's not limited. He's, he, he's just infinite, and he's self-existent. Nobody created God, okay? God is self-existent, and, and, and so he, he's um, one of the, I think, one of the hardest things about being God he has no beginning, no end. He, he, he knows everything. One of the hardest things about, uh, about being God is, you know what, you can never have a surprise birthday party, okay, because he, he's everywhere. He knows everything that there is. It goes on and says that, um, that God is eternal. He's self-existent. He's eternal. It means he has no beginning and no end, and God is self-sufficient, which you and I really need to catch this. That God is, has everything he needs to be God. God doesn't need anything. God's not lacking anything. And so if we think um, that we're holding something back by not giving God our love, can I tell you, God doesn't need our love, but boy, he really desires it and wants it. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't need us singing our song. But you know what? He delights in it. He chooses to delight in it. God is completely self-sufficient. And can I say, how many people think, man, if I was completely self-sufficient, that would be a great thing. I think that'd be a really cool thing, you know? And can I tell you this, that God as a completely self-sufficient God doesn't lack anything, doesn't need anything. Can I tell you, he's a happy God. I think we've got this picture sometimes from history that God's this mean God and he's sitting up on a throne and he's got these, these lightning bolts, you know, and he's, he's ready for you to mess up and man, he's just going to nail you, you know, he's going to get you. God is this angry. That's not who God is. God's not this angry, mean God. God is a happy, loving God that seeks ways to relate to and bless his people. A second thing, and Pastor Chris talked about this a couple, week, a couple weeks ago, 
is that God is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Okay, He knows everything. He knows every circumstance, every situation. Now think about this. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and the next one is that he's omnipresent, that he's, um, that's, he's everywhere, then when, that means that wherever you're at and whatever you need, God is more than able to meet your needs. Isn't that wonderful to know? God's, God's not going to run out of strength. He's not going to run out of love. He's not going to run out of care for you. God is everywhere. He's sovereign. He is the sovereign of the universe. He's the ruler of the universe. You know, I, I have heard people say, maybe you've heard this, well, if I was God, I'd do things a different way, and I'd do this different, and I'd do that different. And, and my response to them is, you know what? When you create your own universe out of nothing, when you, when you create your own solar system, when you create your own earth, when you create your own atmosphere, when you create your own people, when you're the creator of everything, then you get to, to make the rules. <laughs> you get to call the shots. But you know what? That's not you, and that's not me, and that's God. So God is holy. He's other. I love that we were singing that song this morning. He's holy. He, he's completely other than what we can fully know and understand in our world today. And, and just list these off. He's truth. He is truth. He doesn't just know the truth. He is truth. He's righteous. He's just. And, and, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about righteous and justice uh, a little bit uh, later on in a couple of weeks. But can I tell you that we hear a lot of cries in our world today for justice. Has anybody ever seen anything on the news or seen it in the papers? Or, you know, We want justice. We want justice. We want justice. And can I tell you, nobody wants justice more than God because God is just. Can I also tell you? that justice and righteousness really are the same exact words, just interpreted differently at different times. It's amazing to me that we want justice, but how many cries for righteousness do we hear? You see, you can't have justice unless you really do have righteousness, right? Unless a judge making a decision, rendering out justice, unless he does it rightly, unless he does it fairly, unless he does it evenly across the board, then it's not going to be righteous or just, is it? So God is just, righteous and just. God is love. God is mercy. God is faithful. Man, these are wonderful things to know. Faithful. This God will never leave you, never fail you. He'll never give up you. God is faithful. He's, that's why he's long-suffering. His mercies are new every day. And thank God for the last thing that we'll just mention today that Pastor Chris talked about. God is immutable. He does not change. He never changes. Isn't that fantastic to know? What an amazing, what an amazing God we serve today. He's worthy of our worship. So this is the starting point uh, of the qualities and the characteristics of what it takes to be, um, to be God. Then the question is, does our God... Does the God of the Bible line up? Does he meet all of these characteristics? Does he check the boxes on all the job description? And can I tell you, absolutely. He completely checks the boxes. He meets the criteria. And, and can I tell you, he's the only one that does that. The, the, the neat thing about this, in my opinion, is that God isn't trying to hide this. 
God's not trying to, to say, hey, I'm way off somewhere and I'm, I'm a God who can't be seen and can't be known and can't be understood. God's saying, no, I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want a personal relationship with each and every one of you. And so I'm going to be a God who reveals himself. He is a God of revelation. Can I tell you, God's not playing hide and seek with people. Um, I, I, uh, I, he doesn't, you know, well, see and find me if you can. In our house, our, uh, our grandkids, we've got uh, the two oldest boys are Jack. Um, Jack is five and Noah. Noah is three. And so um, Jack's at that point now where he can really understand how to play hide and seek. So every time they come over, there's a few things we do. We wrestle, have to drop a bow on somebody, you know, have to have a little hard times there. And then we, uh, then we, play, uh, we play some hiding and hide and seek. So usually, you know, Jack will hide, and Noah and I'll go and find him, or, or I'll hide, and they'll come find me. Well, the other day, Noah comes over, and he grabs my hand, the three-year-old grabs my hand, he says, hey, Pop, Pop, let's go play hide-and-seek. And I was like, okay, great. And he takes my hand, and he starts leading me, and we go in the laundry room, and we hide in the laundry room, we shut the door, and we're standing in the laundry room, and we're standing there, and I was going, hey, Noah, this is great. We're playing hide-and-seek together. I said, I have a question. Is anybody looking for us? <laughs> he hasn't quite figured out the whole game yet. So I was like, we could be in here, you know, for a week or something. <laughs> so, but God's not playing. God's not playing hide and seek with us. God goes to great lengths to help us to know him. In theological terms, the, there's two terms. One is the macrocosm and the other is the microcosm. That God reveals him thing, himself in the big things, and the huge things like creation, the universe, the earth. Uh, but he also reveals himself in the small things. You think about uh, the human life and how orderly the body is and, and DNA or, or atoms and molecules and all. God reveals himself in the small things as well. He also reveals himself through general revelation. Okay, general revelation means that God shows himself through natural things and in natural means. And in general revelation, God shows himself to all people everywhere all the time. The earth and the sky, the sun and the moon, the stars and all of those type of things. And, and, and this is important because the scripture tells us that there's never going to be a reason that people can say, I could not believe in God because it's in front of their face every day. Psalm 19 puts it like this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Think about that. What, what that scripture is saying is there's no place on the face of the earth where people don't see the sun rise and set every day, the moon, the stars, the creation, the earth, the, the seasons. There's, there's no place that doesn't experience that. And because of that, the scripture said their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the New Testament, Paul puts it like this in Romans 1.20. He said, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so people are without excuse. You know, in history, there's never been a people group that's ever been found or discovered that doesn't have some type of a worship system, some type of a belief in something beyond themselves and something uh, called a creator. 
So there's another way that God reveals himself, and it's called special revelation. That means that it's not just uh, general, it's not just vast, it's not to all people, but special revelation uh, is more specific, more personal. Uh, it involves things like physical appearances of God. And can I say that, that throughout history, there is massive amounts of documentation of the physical appearances of God. Maybe some of us have even had an encounter with God where you've heard God or you've had a vision or you've dreamed a dream or you've, um, uh, you know, you've, maybe there's been some type of an angelic manifestation or, or there's been a personal prophetic word or work that's gone on. All of these things are special revelation. One of God's greatest aspects of special revelation is right here. It's his written word. This is something that, that comes to, uh, to us as his people, that we receive it as his word. And, and there's some people that don't have yet to have the Bible. They don't have it yet. So we're thankful for the special revelation of the word of God. But the greatest of God's special revelation is a man named Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came with a great purpose in mind. Jesus came to reveal God to everybody who would receive him. Hebrews chapter 1 puts it like this. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power of his by the word of his power when he had himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they and so we see that Jesus came with a specific a specific purpose and intention in mind and that specific purpose and intention, can I tell you today, focuses all on you, on how much that God loves you, how much that God wants a personal relationship with you. So if the Bible is one of the greatest ways that God reveals himself, well, let's, let's kind of head towards the finish line here today with this question. Can I trust, can I put my faith in, can I really believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, don't you hear this challenge? Don't you hear this question all of the time? Uh, in academic circles, as far back as, um, as even when I was in high school, I remember I had a, a science teacher that um, I, had just, I, had, I had just only been saved for a, a short time, but this, um, this science teacher was a, a real uh, humanist. He really believed in um, a kind of very scientific-based person that only believed in science, didn't believe in God, believed in evolution, and he'd come in every, every class and he'd say, well, how are you animals? And um, this was in the old days, you know, before I became more, um, more wise or whatever else. But uh, so uh, there was a few times he'd come in and say, hey, how are you animals? And I'd say, well, speak for yourself, sir. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend that. That's not a great way to pass science class. But um, so I think it's important for us to know, can our faith be built upon um, this word? Can, can, can we know you see, faith isn't not knowing and just trusting. Faith is knowing. Faith, you, I'm telling you guys, you can absolutely positively know for sure whether or not what you believe in is true. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. By faith we understand 
By faith, we understand. It's not that we guess or we hope or we think that it might happen. We can know. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things, uh, were not made of the things which are visible. See, it's not the, 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 the spirit world didn't come out of the natural world. All that we know in, the, in the, the, the world that we can touch, this physical world, it came out of the spirit world as God spoke things into existence. Can I tell you that throughout history, the greatest minds, the greatest thinkers of all times, when they would take the time, when they would investigate the claims of Scripture, the truths of Scripture, they have become believers in and supporters of the Word of God. So I, I, I want to ask again, is the Bible worthy to be the authority over our lives? Is, is the Bible worthy? Is it really where we should put our trust and it should it be the basis of our worldview? Is it reliable for us to, to base our decisions Every decision of life, is it reliable for that? Can we base our actions, our morals, our beliefs, our relationships, all that we are and all that we do, our hopes for here on earth and our hopes for the future, can we base them on the Bible? Folks, I'm going to give you some good news today. Absolutely, the answer is absolutely, positively yes, yes, yes. Again, we're going to come back to this and, and talk about it a little bit later on in this series. But let me leave today. Let's leave today with uh, just a few thoughts about the validity and the veracity, the truth of the Bible. And, and I want to encourage you again, take this for your own self. Let it build your faith. Let it encourage you. And at the same time, let it equip you to be able to help others. Some of you are going to meet people this week. They don't know for sure. Can I put my trust in God? They don't, they're not going to know for sure. Can they really believe that what the Bible says about their sins being forgiven and there being hope for them and that God's got a plan for good and not evil for their lives? Those are the things that they're going to question. So here's some of the reasons that we can say yes. You see, the Bible is unlike any other book in history. Not just that it has been printed more, sold more, and read more than any other writing in history. But it also has more original manuscript evidence than any other book by, by far. Uh, most people would, uh, when they're talking about historical ancient documents, they would point to something called the Iliad by Homer, Homer's Iliad. And, and this is a, a document that's almost universally accepted as being true because it has 643 pieces of manuscript evidence to, to validate that it's, it's an, that it's a true work, that it wasn't just something put together by a bunch of different people. 643 pieces of evidence, and everybody accepts it as valid, but people question the Bible when the New Testament alone has over 24,000, 24,000 complete and partial manuscripts to support its, the reality of the Word of God. The Bible's been burned, it's been critiqued, it's been evaluated, it's been criticized more than any other book. But can I tell you this, that the Bible still remains the book that impacts more people's lives on the face of the earth than any other book. Why? Because it's the living Word of God. See, the Bible's supported by, and I want everybody to hear this, okay? The Bible is supported by, not contradicted by, not disproved by, but supported by historical evidence, 
by scientific evidence, legal evidence, and by an overwhelming amount of archaeological evidence. Everybody knows what archaeology is, right? Where they dig through the dirt and they find stuff, and the, right? The, the, the Bible has an amazing amount of proof. So when investigating the Bible, we will find that it's completely congruent. Congruent there means that it's completely in agreement, that it does not contradict itself. Listen to me. If anybody ever tells you that you can't put your trust in the Bible because it contradicts yourself, they're lying to you. Okay? We'll, we'll be willing to have that argument, be willing to, not argument, have that discussion with anybody at any time. So the Bible is completely truthful with itself, even though... It was written by 40 different authors on three different continents over the period of 2,000 years. It's perfectly consistent when it comes to its message, and that has been and continue to be trusted with every aspect of our lives. Folks, I'm telling you, when we base our lives on Jesus Christ, on the truth of the Word of God, when we have a relationship with God Almighty, it is the most amazing thing in the world. Amen? Amen. So today we've just scratched the surface. Hopefully this has answered some questions, but hopefully it's raised some questions. Now let me remind you, we, we, we always want you to feel free to, um, to, to send your questions in. So um, I, I want to encourage you, if you have any questions at all, you can just send them to, it's, um, it's the address is Pastor Chris at, um, <laughs> at ncctyler.org, okay? So let's wrap up. What do I want you to know? I want you to know that you have a God who loves you so much, the God of the universe, that he will reveal himself to you, and that the Bible says if we will seek him, we will find him, we will know him. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel faith that's built up and said, you know what, no matter what media says, no matter what the world says, no matter what society and culture says, I know for sure that I, my faith is true and real and genuine and that, when God, that I can and I do have a relationship with God and God does love me and care about me. And I want you to feel inspired to learn and to know God more and more. And can I tell you one of the greatest ways to do that? is through his word. And finally, what do I want you to do? I want you to rejoice. I want you to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for loving me. God, thank you for going to such great lengths to, um, to show me how much you love me, to, to give me the tools to be able to live out my faith and to be prepared to share my faith, to share my worldview with everybody, uh, everybody that I get a chance to do that. Amen? Amen.